Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerel. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And I think the last time we did this, we were predicting the Euros. We had the France-Germany final. <laughs> uh, it turned out a little differently, but I think we were happy about that given what England did. And I'd just like to start on a, on a note of unity before we go into arguing about Spurs and Arsenal again. And we'd just like to say, as a Spurs fan, Jason, I want to say... Um, a big thank you, really, to Bukayo Saka. And I don't mean this in an ironic way. I mean, genuinely, he was England's breakthrough player at the tournament. And obviously, I'm sure we'll get into what happened in the final, but I don't think anyone blames him for that. And I think, you know, who, who would have thought that he was going to, he would have ended up playing as much as he did? I'm sure you as an Arsenal fan and all the other Arsenal fans must be, must be very proud of him. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, thank you, thank you for your, for your kind, kind words about Bukayo. Um, I'm sure they'll appreciate the message. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're kind of like a proud father. And at, at this rate of my life, or our lives, you're starting to get to the point where players are much younger now than us, starting for England. Um, and, I, I, and, you know, well, I was sitting in my boxers in a heat wave, uh, eating a packet of crisps. But he, um, he really did us proud. You know, we didn't expect him to start all those games. And, and when he when he did, you know, he looked confident on the ball. Um, he looked for it. He was contributing to the team attacking wise. You know, he still had that defensive mind. When he was out the team, I do think the team struggled slightly. And um, there are a couple of players there who were starting the games that I don't think deserved to in the end. Um, notably, Mason Mount, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, of course, we can't. Um, completely skirt around the issue that unfortunately he was the one that missed one of the penalties. Um, the story of our England lives. Um, but I understand the sentiment that, you know, he showed leadership of taking that on. Fearless. It could have been anyone. Um, and ultimately it will make him stronger, I think, and more hungry for success. Hopefully that's with Arsenal. I suppose now the onus is on Mikel Arteta. Um, as the coach we know or think he is, to, to, to harness that potential and hunger and make sure he goes on and has the career he deserves. Because, um, you know, th those sort of decisions that Gareth Southgate made to, to put him in that firing line could be a career derailer. And... Yeah, I, th I think it's important that we see, apart from that one kick, that we look at everything else that happened within the tournament as a sign of growth. You know, this is a 19-year-old, I think, is he 19? Might be turned 20-year-old boy starting. Did he, did, he start, did he start the final? Am I going mad? I think he, he started the semi-final, but I think he came on as a sub he in the final. He came on as a sub in the final, playing in a final. Um, and representing his country. So yeah, from an Arsenal perspective, you know, we had a bit of a strange tournament. We didn't have as many players actually go to the tournament. Um, probably our best player of the tournament, Shaka, will now be leaving the club. Um, that's pretty much a done deal. So that and and for a cut price, despite having a, a good tournament. So I'm not sure what that's about. So yeah, he was a bit of a shining light. And I suppose, I mean, do I want to share the compliment back for Harry Kane? Um, England captain leading us to the final. Um, some very important goals. 
you know, after a tough start, um, the backdrop of a lot of conversations about his future. Um, yeah, I've got to thank him for the memories. Um, do it, does it, uh, do I break the cordial um, relationships by arguing another final down, another trophyless tournament for Harry Kane? Um, I'll, I'll leave that hanging in the air. But yeah, I mean, just kind of bring it back to the overall Euros. It, it was, I was kind of a bit apathetic about it. And then you get into it. And then England start doing well, and you get excited. And it and it was a it was an exciting summer. It was a nice few months, uh, weeks, especially during a during an awkward time in uh, in history with with what's going on or is still going on with COVID. Um, and it's lovely memories, something we've never seen in our life's lifetime. Um, something our parents' generation have barely seen in their lifetime. And you know that, that's now you know ninety six is now in the in the in the memory just a memory, this is now the one we'll be referring to, um, and hopefully we can remedy that come winter 2022. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any reason why England now shouldn't be considered one of the favourites for the 2022 World Cup. I mean, we, we kind of looked back at the 2018 World Cup and wondered whether that was a fluke, whether we got lucky getting to the semi-final, whether that was a huge opportunity missed, whether we'd ever have a chance of that again. But then at the very next tournament, to go one better and reach the final... I mean, we've just got to hope that we can now go one better uh, next year and, and go on and, and win it. I mean, you look at what happened to some of the other, you know, traditionally the more fancied nations during that tournament. Germany, obviously, we, we brushed aside quite easily in the end in the last 16. We kind of thought before the tournament that might have been a match we'd lose. France kind of looked like they've got back to kind of the divided dressing room that derailed them before. Portugal still have talent, but you wonder whether in a way they kind of need Ronaldo to retire for the next generation to come through. Um, and then obviously, I mean, we weren't watching the Copa America as closely as the Euros, Argentina, Brazil in the final. Maybe we'll talk about Martinez later. But, you know, you look at the the kind of current climate at the moment in international football and the, the talent England have coming through with players like Saka. And you kind of feel like this is, I don't know, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day and I was thinking, on the one hand, it's the most confident I've ever felt about England going forward thinking we can still get better and improve but on the other hand kind of bringing it back to Tottenham and what you said about Harry Kane and, and finals I really hope we don't end up looking back at the 2018 World Cup and this Euros the same way I look back on kind of the 2019 Champions League final and I guess like the 15-16, 16-17 Premier League seasons where you look back and go at the time you felt this was the start of something and you, you, you'd have a chance to win it again but when you look back you realise actually that was a golden opportunity a window that opened and now looking at Spurs, you know, we've fallen way short of that. We're nowhere near now winning a title or, or getting to a Champions League final. So I just hope we don't in a couple of years time end up having that same regret with England. Yeah, no, very well said. And that, that was kind of my fear as well, that, you know, Germany weren't up to the races. France had a shock, a couple of shocks. Portugal obviously weren't there. It all had, you know, that path had opened up, but it happened in 2018 as well. And now we've broken that, that voodoo of, of, of beating the big teams and, and finding a way to win, uh, maybe we have to be more optimistic, but you're right. That was that was a very golden opportunity, and, and you just wonder. I mean, again, we were one kick away, or a couple of kicks away. Penalties, is that close? We took a team all the way. In open play, we drew the Euros. But ultimately, it's, it's how do you win that, and it, and it was there for the taking, for sure. Um, 
but yeah, international football. Do you do you feel do you feel excited for club football again, or is it something that's still in the in the, in the back burner? And are you still very much in that international uh, fever? Uh, I think I'm starting to get back into club football now that sort of the preseason games are underway and kind of transfer dealings are starting to happen. But I I definitely didn't want the Euros to end because I, I didn't want to have to face up to the reality of the situation at Tottenham Hotspur. And I knew the moment the Euros finished, it would be back on the Harry Kane saga and it would just be kind of, you know, I, I, I don't know how much we have to look forward to as Spurs fans this season. I don't know. I'm getting more optimistic now that I think the all the talk has kind of settled. And I mean, the manager situation got resolved uh, since we last spoke. <laughs> Um, which kind of got completely overshadowed by the Euros. Um, yeah. But I think now... Well, that, re- reasonably so after your, your 10th choice. Well, yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll get on to, to Nuno, both Nuno, our manager, and, and Nuno, one of your new players. Um, mm. But yeah, I think now that the actual... It's back to talking about club football rather than kind of particularly from our perspective, all the rumours of the manager situation. I, I'm starting to get more excited but definitely international football this summer was a very very nice distraction because I imagine particularly with the Harry Kane thing if there hadn't been this tournament um, it would have been a, a much tougher summer than it, than it has been and I, I guess the same question for you I mean are you was it a good distraction for you are you getting excited about Arsenal again or are you kind of wishing that we were still in that sort of optimistic Euros bubble? Yeah I, I always wish we were at the what was it 10th of July forever that, that buzz and that hope and optimism and almost that that given, oh, we've won the Euros, we're going to have a bank holiday, you know, all that talk, the usual, you know, Tommy Kitten coming out of the song and, you know, repeating, uh, repeating Sweet Caroline on our, on our Spotify or Apple Music, very different players. Um, but yeah, it, the Euro fever was lovely, but ultimately... I kind of had this feeling as soon as I saw Saka step up, it was the one penalty I didn't look at, and I heard the slap of Donnarumma's glove, and I knew he'd missed it before my dad went mad. I I just had this feeling, and then I thought, we're just going to have to have, have a constant reminder all season, every time Saka puts on an Arsenal shirt, of that moment. So the trauma kind of will continue. Um, and I remember saying to a couple of people, I just, I, I just don't care about club football, international football that feeling, that buzz, that excitement of winning, eclipsed anything I'd felt as an Arsenal fan because everyone was together and I thought I won't be able to enjoy this, I don't care. And then I just went to a friend's and um, watched a bit of Rangers-Arsenal, the, the pre-season game, and now I'm really excited about the season um, and, and it's starting to get that buzz back and I think it's a welcome distraction. Um, you know, we have no choice but to to move on, football moves on, and I think because of the, the murmurings off the pitch, um, it's certainly done a lot to kind of um, get a little bit of the appetite back, or at least have a little bit of optimism that something different is coming. As uh, as, as owner Josh Kroenke said when asked uh, a few years ago what Arsenal fans should feel, he said you should be excited. Do I feel excited? Yes, I feel quite excited. Um, so excited, I bought a ticket today um, to Arsenal Borromwood. Um, Arsenal, probably our reserve team as a pre-season game, although because the USA 
trip was cancelled. I wonder whether a couple of the first teamers might get run out. Um, so yeah, nice, uh, nice hefty price of twelve pounds for a pre-season ticket. I'm, uh, I'm back in action. I'm, I'm back in Arsenal fever. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready now. I think, uh, I think maybe one or two more weeks, I'll be, I'll be gagging for a, for a first game of the season, which uh, we, we delightfully kick off away to Brentford on a Friday night. Um, it's got two nil. Brentford, Ivan Tony written all over it. Well, I certainly hope so because Ivan Tony is in my my first uh, fantasy football draft. Um, speaking of preseason, we're playing a preseason game, Spurs and Arsenal. I on heard the eighth yes. of August for uh, for charity. I think it's raising money for Mind. Very good cause. Good. But I wonder, Jason, do you think it, can there ever be such a thing as a friendly North London derby? No, I, I think it, it's very awkward because it really sucks out the energy of the bit because, you know, when you're, when you're doing something for charity, you can't have that, that feisty atmosphere. So, so, but I guess that's kind of the point that, you know, we all put our differences aside for a common cause. And, you know, there was a lot of that feeling of, you know, Harry Kane putting his arm around Bakayo Saka and a lot of unity. And, but it kind of makes you feel a little bit sick that we've got to, be friendly against Spurs um, and Chelsea, really. Uh, but it is what it is. Listen, it, it's um, will it be fun? I don't know. Will it, will we even put out proper teams? Probably not. Um, but listen, it's a good day out. Good attraction for the Spurs supporters to, to get back into it. And I suppose you should say, why not? You know, we barely get to see each other play. Um, so, so why not? Why not uh, tease a li- tease each other a little bit, get the get the bragging rights uh, out ready for the season? Because I'm pretty confident that uh, it's the last time for a while Spurs will be saying mind the gap, etc. Interesting, interesting. And this season will be a, a big one for Arsenal as well because you're going to have the Amazon cameras following you around the whole oh, time. Oh God, I forgot. About that. I actually forgot about that. You're the new, you're the new all or nothing. I mean, seeing what happened with our all or nothing series, I wonder whether there's anything you took away from the, the, the Tottenham all or nothing that you think, Oh, I'd like to see us uh, show something similar or I, I hope we don't do that. I mean, I mean, what is the, the feeling about this all or nothing thing? Are you happy about it? You're looking forward to it? Or do you think it's going to be kind of a, something hanging over you the whole season, knowing that the, the cameras are rolling and you're kind of worried about what embarrassing stuff they might, they might find. Mm. Well, I guess apart from Man City, the, the answer to all or nothing is always nothing. Um, I fear that we would be going down more the, the Spurs route and the City route in terms of heads will roll because of this. I think... It's very clear within the club there are people coasting in their careers, playing-wise and off-the-pitch-wise. I think the narrative that Arsenal will try to portray is that we are innovative, forward-thinking, young, dynamic, growing, bringing the soul back to the club after you know, an, an era of disappointment and, and kind of the um, unravelling of the Wenger infrastructure. What I fear will happen is that the playing performances will, will, will be, uh, will suffer because of it. You know, this is a, a very, very, very important season for the Mikel Arteta regime and this project. 
and to have cameras in your face and people playing up to it um, is a risk. I, I there's almost I feel very disconnected from this Arsenal squad more than any other. I feel like I don't know the players or, or it sounds harsh. I don't like the players. Like when I was when I started sporting this really, you know, I'm trying to think back a bit. Sanya was so I was so excited he had gold hair, you know. <laughs> It was like, oh, look at this guy, he's cool, he's good. Vermalen, a real leader at the back. Clichy, Fabregas was a, my hero. When Sami Nazari came in, it was exciting. Van Persie, Ali Bayor, it was all really, it was all really cool. It was cool to support Arsenal. Theo, a young Theo, you, you liked him, you loved him. You, but with this team, I just don't care. And... I wonder whether they feed off that a bit. I'm not sure where the personalities are. It's not like you have Emmanuel Abue running the show. He would have been fun to watch years ago. And, you know, Delhi was clearly fun, albeit I think it, it was a detriment to his career. Um, that all or nothing um, documentary. Same for Danny Rose, really. But, uh, and it really, remember, it was the Jose Mourinho show. What we should remember is that Arteta has been part of this before with Man City. So I'm sure there was counsel with him. You'd hope so. Um, I suppose there's the money aspect, which is lovely. I'm sure there's some good money in there. Again, it's kind of about making Arsenal relevant again. I I think that's what it is, making sure that we're front and centre as a club because... There is this danger of being out of Europe means the younger fans who didn't see us at our top or amongst the elite remember that we are a top club. But it it only works in hindsight if we have a good season. So do I think it's a good idea? I don't think it's necessarily about good or bad, I think it's just about managing it so you can get the entertainment factor, you can connect the fans again to the personalities, um, and if you can come out of it with an ounce of reputation left, then it's uh, the job well done, I'd say. I mean, I, I defer to you because I don't know. I, I enjoyed watching the Spurs all or nothing, and I think it it came out embarrassing on a couple of your players. Pretty good on the club as a whole. Pretty good on Daniel Levy, um, and and pretty fifty-fifty uh, with um, the manager. Yeah, it's interesting looking back on it now that obviously Mourinho has been sacked because that show in a way really kind of captures the the very short-lived Mourinho era if you can even call it that and like you said it very much was the Jose show so I feel like our perceptions of it now and how we think about it are so kind of tied up with Mourinho that it's hard to almost kind of separate one from the other I feel like by the sounds of what you've been saying Arsenal seem to have more to gain from doing this than maybe we did at the time like because when we started obviously Pochettino was still manager we were coming off the Champions League final there was a lot of goodwill towards the team so you kind of felt like it's not like we needed that to bring the fans closer to the team or even necessarily bring in money I mean it's not like 
you know, lockdown happened during the show, which was actually one of the more interesting episodes because you got mm. to see kind of inside a club when that happened. But it kind of felt like it was one of those things we didn't, you know, the only reason why we did it was, I mean, the same reasons really you're doing it, you know, commercial reasons, building the brand, making money. But you kind of, and I think you got the sense from how little Pochettino seemed involved with it that he kind of thought like, you know, why are we doing this? We don't need this. Whereas with Arsenal, given how far you've kind of fallen, and like you said, almost it's a way to remind people and I suppose improve the Arsenal brand, which has been tarnished a bit. And I suppose, you know, if you have a bad season and, and it's, ca- you know, it's on these cameras, it's like, is it, I, I can't see, I mean, I hope I'm wrong on this because it would be funny for me, but I, I can't see this being more embarrassing for you than the average episode of Arsenal fan TV after a, a bad defeat. You know what I mean? Like I kind of feel like mm. the Ar- Arsenal brand has already been quite tainted that I can't see this, doing that much more damage I think if anything it could help improve it if people see oh actually things are better than we thought behind the scenes or actually we do like these players and um, I guess the risk though as ever with these things is that it can ruin reputations as much as it can enhance them and I wonder even um, you know going back to what we we're talking about at the start of the, the show someone like Bakayo Saka for example coming off the summer he's had is having all these cameras around and this a kind of extra exposure and kind of scrutiny really what someone like him needs right now? Um, players that, I don't know, players like Aubameyang who seems to be the star, but now kind of seem to have, I don't know, I get the impression that Arsenal fans don't necessarily feel as positively towards him as they used to, you know, how he, how is he going to come across? Cause I, I mean, I imagine pe- people like Saka and Smith Rowe will kind of be the ones they focus on because they're the young talents coming through. Those are the ones you can identify with, but like you said, Danny Rose, Deli Ali both weren't portrayed very well in the programme. And I think it did have an effect then on their relations with the team and the club moving forward. So I guess you need to kind of be careful how it's edited. I mean, particularly with someone like Arteta as well, who I guess the jury is still very much out with him as a manager. Like he's been through this before, like you said, but maybe this could be, you know, I, I can't see this being the Arteta show the same way our all or nothing was the Jose show, but It'd be interesting to see how he approaches it. Does he see this as an opportunity to kind of build his image or, or would he be a bit more cautious about it because he's still kind of up and coming and unproven, even though he does have that FA Cup win? I guess there's a, there's a lot of potential either way and I'll certainly be interested to watch it, but I suppose for the same reasons you were interested to watch the Spurs one, kind of tuning in uh, in a kind of a schadenfreude kind of way, kind of hoping to see some misfortune. I guess it's... Uh, It'll be one of those things, though, throughout the season where I remember when we knew it was going on, kind of after every bad defeat or, or damaging or embarrassing moment, you'd be thinking, oh, God, we've, and, you know, Amazon are here to film it all. But then on the flip side, if you go and achieve something big, then it'll be kind of a great document of that season. So, mm. yeah, either, either way, you kind of want to have that transparency and say, OK, that pathetic mistake happened. How does the management deal with it? Or, you know, something like Saka equivalent happens to a young player, they make a mistake. How does the manager deal with it? That, those are the things, you know, it is bringing the fans within the game. You know, they're looking for that younger audience who, who have a low attention span and need that interactivity. So, yeah, you're right. I think, uh, you know, we joke about Arteta putting out the cones and being, a, being coached like that. But, you know, who knows? Could be a repeat of Spurs. Maybe they have a feeling Arteta might not last and, and that will make entertainment when we go and uh, hire in Roberto Mancini on uh, November the 13th. Maybe. I mean, 
a lot of people do genuinely believe that a huge uh, factor behind the Mourinho appointment was creating a bit of drama and, and giving a kind of a protagonist to that show. So uh, I guess, yeah, I'm sure if any major decisions like that happen at Arsenal, people will be wondering how much the, the Amazon documentary is playing into it. And I wonder as well with transfers and, and players coming in, signings, I mean, Arsenal seems to be very busy. You might have a lot of uh, new new players, new characters to introduce on All or Nothing. Um, how do you feel about Arsenal's uh, transfer dealings so far? So far, uh, muted, but but shrewd. I think um, Nuno Tavares, didn't know much about him. 21-year-old left-back from Portugal. Uh, started the Rangers game in pre-season, scored a very nice goal, um, albeit there was definitely a handball in there at some point, but there was no VAR at the Ibrox. Um, he looks good, he looks nifty. Although he reminds me a bit of that Andre Santos type signing, you know, kind of, okay, bring him in, might come in once in a while, do a job, no great shakes, but he's young, to be good cover, we can bring him on when we need to, to be a little bit defensive. He, he can do a bit of a Nacho Monreal job where, you know, we might pitch up with a, with a goal or two or, or an assist or two when we need him. Um, the right sort of profile of players, you know, good value, young. Arteta can coach him. Again, it's all about this narrative. Arteta has improved younger players before. Can he keep doing it? Is that the strategy apart than, rather than signing and, and, and uh, giving long, big contracts to to has-been players who aren't hungry for it anymore. Um, we bought Albert Sambi Lekonga, um, Belgium international, I believe, uh, recommended by Vincent Company, uh, Teta's old um, teammate, and Thierry Henry, so two very good ex-Premier League players there. Um, again, the profile works, you know, box to box, I believe. Um, I've heard, again, I don't know much about him, the name, I just like his name, Albert Zambi Lagonga. I feel like he, he, you can just see the fans singing it already. And and he looks, you know, even hearing him, he looks hungry for it. You know, he says, you know, he's proud to be a gooner. And again, it's that young kind of signing that Wenger would make years ago. And he wouldn't really know him. He'd be very low fee. He'd get in and out on the team. And then he'd explode. And I think he's going to be one of those... I, I think, as um, a few bloggers have pointed out, he's kind of that replacement for Ceballos in the team. Someone who can come in and out. He's probably going to play 18 games a season. You know, come off the bench a few times. He'll start a few of the, the games when, when there needs to be rotation from injury or or um, fixture congestion, albeit without Europe, hopefully he won't have too much of that. You know, start the cup games, learn his trade, get used to English football. Let's see. Um but it's exciting. And then obviously there's this massive pipeline of it sounds like we're going full. Let's coach young English players. Um, yes, they come at a premium, but but the upside is very exciting. You know, Aaron Ramsden goal, um, whatever you say about his back to that relegations, he's clearly a very good goalkeeper by talent. Um, otherwise, all these clubs wouldn't be after him. And you know, I think we've needed a new keeper since the moment we got rid of Martinez. Um, can he play out the back? Let's hope so. Let's hope that's the reason why we're looking at him. Um, ben White would be a huge signing. You know, currently can play right back as well, um, position we need. Could that be where he ends up or centre-back? 
Again, young and international, someone with a high ceiling, someone with a very good reputation. Um, James Madison, big rumours. Um, again, that would be massive. That would be massive. I, I don't know whether that's the right move for him career-wise, but he could be the star. And if he gets us back into the into the kind of uh, Champions League places, he could be a real star at Arsenal. Who knows? Might want to come down to London. Might have some friends in the team. And then obviously the Tammy Abraham story today as well. Again, these are these are big money signings for periphery England players. Um, but they've shown themselves effective at moments. You know, Tammy Abraham almost carried that Frank Lampard team into the top four that year um, and into finals. So I don't think they're bad signings. Again, you know, Aubameyang seems finished. Lacazette doesn't seem up to the races. Balogun and Nketiah, I don't know if they're there yet. So why not? I think these are all very, you know, good signings in terms of profile. You know, you know there's resale value in them. You know they'll be hungry for it. To this to, to expose themselves to level and and you've got a manager who who can believe in them so yeah I, I think it all sounds very positive you know you, there might be as rumors of Locatelli the sort of thing it could happen late on in a transfer window the only question is where's this money coming from so it's probably likely that that you know the club have got something sorted out for getting rid of Leno getting rid of Bellerin Kolasinac couple of centre-backs, Shaka, El Nene, um, maybe Lacazette, I don't know, Willian even. So, yeah, it's very exciting uh, whether or not any of them come off. Um, it sounds like the Ben White deal is pretty much done. Um, the rest remain uh, TBC. Um, but yeah, it's exci- for me, it's exciting. You know, I, I, I'm used to not necessarily knowing all the players that come through the door at Arsenal or knowing them too well and knowing that, that they're kind of uh, over-the-hill um, players. But, but, but this would be good, you know. I'm just starting to think about how I'll fit them into my FIFA team. So, very exciting. And, and how about you as Spurs? Because it all seems to be, you know, in your summer of change, you finally got your manager, the, uh, the 100th choice, um, the one you probably could have got in March. Um, and someone who is kind of at rock bottom of his stock based on how he'd been doing um, in recent years, a bit like Jose Mourinho, to be honest, um, Portuguese compatriot, who comes with super agents. You know, there was that big link with the Jorge Mendes, I believe, at Wolves as well. Um, you know, comes with the baggage of Knowing a couple of your players, does it mean Doherty gets back in the team? Is that good? Is that bad? Um, and then he's got the big problem of Harry Kane, you know, a one-to-way player. Is that the big-name manager that's going to attract Harry Kane to stay and think, oh, I'm going to win trophies here without that track record? Because it could be two or three years at the minimum before we can build something special like that. And then signing-wise, you know, it's very clear there's a rebuild need at Spurs. You know, your 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 keeper has been made has made mistakes in recent years. Um, the centre backs have been iffy. The full backs were never really settled. The midfield Piffer, there have been rumours about Ndombélé exiting the club, and then obviously Lamella leaving as well. So you know, 
some of that squad depth as well as is um, in jeopardy. I don't know if Vinicius is staying. I mean, I don't know. I clearly know too much about the Spurs squad by name, but in terms of the actual context and from the rumours of who you're signing or, or not signing, it sounds like a bit of a mess. Um, where do I begin? Um, so I suppose on the Nuno thing, and Har- I mean, and Harry Kane, I, I feel like Harry Kane and kind of. I'm not sure there's any manager who we could have brought in who would have made Kane think differently. Maybe if we'd got Conte in, that might have made him think twice because of the, the profile of the manager. Um, but I, it feels like he's got his heart set on the move. Whether or not it actually happens, I still feel like it won't because I can't see City offering the money uh, that we would be asking for him. And I mean, in a world where Ben White costs 50 million and Aaron Ramsdale reportedly costs 30 million. Um, 100 million for Harry Kane probably isn't enough, particularly if they're supposedly willing to spend that exact same amount on Jack Grealish as well. Um, And with Nuno, I mean, look, I think obviously last season at Wolves didn't go very well, but they still finished comfortably mid-table, which for a, a club who'd only been promoted a couple of seasons ago isn't too bad. I think it shows how far he'd he'd risen the expectations at Wolves that that was seen as such a disaster and obviously there were a lot of mitigating circumstances there obviously there was the horrific head injury to Jimenez in that game against Arsenal he'd lost players like Jota to Liverpool and Doherty to us who were who were key to his system there even if Doherty didn't have a great season with us it was still they'd lost a lot of players whether through transfer or injury and I feel like in a way although the past couple of seasons have caught up with them but if you look at the job he did there as a whole taking them from the championship to the quarterfinals of the Europa League and two seventh place finishes to a, new, a newly promoted club is probably one of the more impressive jobs that a manager has done in English football in, in the past few years, kind of outside of the top six. And I feel like with Nuno, a lot of people are reacting to the circumstances around his appointment rather than the appointment itself. I feel like if we'd appointed him maybe a year earlier or in a different context, or if he had come in as first choice rather than obviously at the end of what was an absolutely farcical uh, process, then maybe people would be a little reacting a little bit more positively to him. I mean, I remember it wasn't long ago, he was being linked to the Arsenal job when you were looking to get rid of Emery. So I think he might surprise some people. I think he is a good coach and he seems like at the very least someone who's not going to rock the boat and create as many kind of soap operas as as Mourinho did. Obviously, they are compatriots. He played under Mourinho. Some people have compared them kind of tactically or stylistically, but I think he seems like a much more humble, modest guy than Mourinho. And I think at the very least, there'll be a better atmosphere around the club, which could make uh, could make a big difference. Uh, in terms of the transfers, it's interesting because this new um, managing director of football, Fabio Paratici, or... Paratici, which I heard is apparently the correct pronunciation. Uh, he seems to be like, you know, the new guy kind of doing all the deals. I think Nuno's pretty much said, like, you know, I focus on the training ground. He deals with the transfers. And it basically seems like he just shops in Syria because that's what he knows from his time at Juventus. Uh, to be honest, I question his judgment massively, given that he wanted to hire Gattuso as manager. That is a huge alarm bells ringing for me because it suggests he doesn't really understand that he's not in Italy anymore. He's not Juventus anymore. And it seems like every player we're linked to and every manager we were linked to before we hired Nuno, it was, and even with Nuno, it was, oh, Paratici really liked him at Juventus. Paratici wanted him for Juventus. And it's, you know, it's all well and good signing players for Juventus and doing a good job at Juventus. But that's very different, doing a good job at Juventus in the Serie A to then working for Tottenham in the Premier League. Two very different clubs, two very different leagues, different demands, different constraints. 
so it'll be interesting to see how he manages that. But what I will say is with the, the dealings we're doing so far, I think there does seem to be a plan behind them, which there wasn't always before. Um, the rebuild, like you said, is happening. This goalkeeper we're supposedly about to sign, I think on a two-year loan with then an option to buy, Pierluigi uh, Gallini, who part-time rapper as well, which I, I love. I think I think we need more of that. Um, good to have a you know a musical influence in the dressing room. And, you know, like you said, with Lloris, uh, I think he's only got one year left on his contract. Even if we extend it by another year, at some point we've got to start thinking about who replaces him. It's not going to be Joe Hart because he's not getting any younger. So to get in a, a goalkeeper who's played in the Champions League and played for Atalanta, who have been one of the best clubs in Italy over the past few years, to bring him in essentially for nothing for a couple of years, try him out, and then if we like him, buy him for 15 million. I mean, when you see uh, championship level goalkeepers like Aaron Ramsdale going for 30 million, I mean, that, that seems like a pretty smart piece of business for me. Um, and then we're being linked to, I mean, yeah, this swap deal, Lamella for, for Brian Gill. Um, I'm not sure if it is pronounced Gill, but uh, I'd never heard of him, I'll be honest. But, you know, you do the classic thing, looking up YouTube videos and, and reading all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you feel like he's the the next Messi. Um, but again, something that makes sense, you're getting rid of Lamella, someone who's been here for a long time and bringing in a, a younger replacement who potentially has a, a very high ceiling. I mean, people in Spain speak very highly of him. Um, and, you know, let's see, he, in terms of how he looks, he reminds me a lot of Luka Modric. And I remember people, you know, I hadn't heard of Luka Modric when we signed him. And people said he was too too short, not not big, big enough for the Premier League, that he wouldn't be able to cope with the physicality. I think Arsene Wenger even thought that and was one of the reasons why he didn't go for Modric for Arsenal. Um, but, but look how that turned out. So, you know, let's see. And we're being linked to a lot of centre-backs, which obviously is somewhere we need to strengthen. So it does seem at least like there is a plan behind what we're doing. We are fixing areas in the squad that need fixing and need addressing rather than kind of panicking on deadline day and spending 30 million on Musa Zizoko like we did a few seasons ago. So, um, yeah, I feel cautiously optimistic about Nuno and I feel a little bit better about what Paratici is doing in terms of transfers, more so than I did in terms of what he was doing when he got involved in the manager situation with the whole fonseca Catuso saga. Um, but ultimately, you know, only time will tell with these sporting directors, with transfers, a lot of time, you, you don't really know how successful they are until a few seasons. You know, it can take time for players to adapt. And I guess that is my one worry. I mean, you're talking about buying English players and obviously they do come at a premium. And quite frankly, I think spending, a, you know, if, if, if the rumours are true, spending a combined 80 million on Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale just makes me think of that John Hen famous John Henry quote about what they're smoking over there at the Emirates. But then again... They're players who know the league and, and theoretically could hit the ground running, whereas the players we're looking at coming from abroad, sometimes it can take time to adapt to the league. And if there is a lot of change in the squad and there is a rebuild going on, maybe that will make that rebuild even more more turbulent. So I guess, you know, there's, there's pros and cons either way. Yeah, it just feels like from the outside, it feels like a weak move. It feels like, you know, again it doesn't feel like Spurs getting to the next level. It feels like almost accepting that you're out of that top four elite now um, and you never capitalise on it. But I wonder, you know, if you do end up selling Kane for whatever it is, under 30 million plus Jesus or something like that, you know, would you expect then to see a marking signing? I mean, you know, I, I've had it with Arsenal. I didn't have it for a while, but then our Shavin kind of, at the time, broke the barrier slightly. Um, Meza Ozil uh, definitely did. 
Alexis Santos to an extent, Aubameyang, you know, these guys, they come in, you're like, wow, got a big signing, a marquee name. I mean, I don't know if Spurs have really felt that as fans. And is that something you think you need to, to take it to the next level or, or get everyone excited about whatever project is happening again? Um, I don't know. It's interesting because really Spurs, certainly in my time sporting club, we've never really been the made. We've never really made marquee signings. I mean, you know, bringing bringing Bale back, I suppose, is a bit of a marquee signing. Maybe Van der Vaart on deadline day because he was already a big established name. We were buying him from Real Madrid. But we've always been, you know, you have to go back to the days of Jurgen Klinsmann or Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa to really think of the, the last time Spurs really made marquee signings. I think we've always been a club that has been about making superstars rather than buying them, you know, buying the likes of Bale and Modric before they were big and turning them into stars and then they go off to Real Madrid or, you know, having players like Harry Kane come through the youth system or even buying people like Berbatov or Hume Son or Christian Eriksen, you know, kind of these promising players who weren't marquee names when we bought them, but then were marquee names when we sold them. You know, the clubs who bought them offers, they, those were their marquee signings. Um, I think if we sell Harry Kane, which, I mean, I think there definitely would then be huge pressure to reinvest that money. But, I mean, you go back to when we sold Bale, we didn't really invest that money in in marquee names. So I wonder whether now the strategy would be a bit different. I think the part of the problem is, is not having Champions League football anymore, you, you can't attract marquee names. I mean, we don't even have Europa League football right now. We've got your, your, you know, your, your way for Europa Conference League football. So given that we've never been, you know, we don't have the financial muscles to offer the same wages as the likes of Chelsea or City or United, even Liverpool. And we don't have the, you know, we don't, I don't think we have the money or the, the pull right now to attract marquee names. So I think we have to do things a bit differently and try and find, kind of overlooked uh, talent or, or young up-and-coming players because that's the way, you know, we can't compete for the same players as City and Chelsea, so we have to do things a bit differently. And, I mean, in the past, we have done that successfully, but I think we definitely did, as you said, miss an opportunity when we were in the Champions League regularly under Pochettino and pushing for titles not to sign a high-quality of player. I mean, I mentioned Musa Zoko on deadline day. You look at the players we signed back then, you know, Sizoko. Um, Vincent Janssen, George Kevin and Kudu, Clinton and G. you know, you, you think, you know, what were we doing? And supposedly we've been trying hard to sign Jules Kunde from Sevilla, who's kind of seen as the next big defender. But supposedly he doesn't want to come to us because he wants to hold out for a, a Champions League club. And, you know, you, you can't blame him. So I think you, it's classic Tottenham. We picked the worst time in history, or at least in the past hundred years, to build a new stadium. Because during that time, all the focus is on the stadium rather than the team. We decided to build a stadium rather than build a team. And then shortly after we opened that stadium, there was a, there was a pandemic and we were in lockdown, so we couldn't even reap the rewards of that stadium. Um, so I think in a way that has kind of screwed us over in terms of recruitment. And now we're getting the, the rebuild that Pochettino was kind of asking for two years ago, but we're doing it from a position of, of weakness rather than strength, which is why I guess we really have to hope that Paratici knows what he's doing and that we are uncovering some gems with these signings rather than just signing more more Nkudus and more Janssens. You know, hopefully we're signing the next kind of Kingman Sons and, and Luka Modric's instead. But uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I look at the signings that, that the likes of, I mean, Aston Villa and Leicester are making mm. and I'm jealous because I think those are the exact sort of signings that, that we should be making. And, and it makes me worry, you know, on the one hand, I think, okay, we finished seventh last season, but really we weren't that far off the top four in terms of points and you know with all the, the game points we lost from losing positions 
you know, having a manager who just gets us a little bit more organized and is a little bit more positive, there's no reason why we can't bridge that gap to the top four. But then on the other hand, I look at what Leicester are doing. I look at what Villa are doing. I look at what all the other clubs are doing in the market. And I look at our situation, the rebuild, all the new personnel at the club, the manager, the sporting director, the new players. And I think the other part of me thinks we might really struggle even just to finish in the top six, let alone push for top four. So, yeah, it's weird. On the one hand, I can see us having a surprisingly good season. But on the other hand, I could see us really struggling as well and, and falling kind of even even further behind, particularly with kind of the tough opening fixtures that we've got. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't fill me up with too much dread. It excites me to hear that from a Spurs perspective. Um, and so for your sakes, you don't, you know, sign a £30 million defender, load him out for three years and get all the, all the, all the um, anger we've had around uh, William Saliba. Um, the man who's got this... Uh, presenter 25,000 impressions on Twitter. Yeah, we've gone, gone, gone viral. Yeah, gone, gone viral. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, there is this balance between buying these young players of potential and buying these experienced talent. Um, whatever you do, fans will be upset. Um, it's a strange one, that, on our side. Um, as I mentioned on, on that tweet, only, only two... Um, the 37 centre-backs that started the last game of the season um, were 20 or under. Um, so it does show that experience does matter in, in certain positions, or it's certainly um, more effective. And yeah, it, I, I wonder, especially in that centre-back position for Spurs, because at the end of the day, that's where these games are won and lost. You know, that, that leadership and that, that um, rigidity at the back, because Spurs, we know, have an amazing tacking line. When they get firing, phew, it was unbelievable last season. Um, but, you know, that old Vireld, didn't know who the other one was last year. Sanchez, who, who else is there? Dyer. Dyer, yeah. I mean, it, 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 Dyer is the word. Um, <laughs> Dyer by name, Dyer by nature. Correct. It just wasn't, you know, it doesn't strike fear in, in, in forwards. I'm sure they're delighted to play against them. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what the approach is. You know, it's all very well, again, going to trying to go for someone like Kunde, but was it Kunde you just said? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know who he is, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, or, or, you know, Uka Makano, all these bigger names, exciting players. Um, whereas sometimes maybe you just need a Johnny Evans in there, just a bit of experience to shore, shore up the club. So... Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what they do. But there's not long left, let's be honest. There's, I mean, looking at my diary now, one, two, three. In, th- in three weeks, in two days, Arsenal will be kicking off this time. I mean, the season is near. And you've got a lot of players out with the year from the Euros as well, for the Olympics as well. Um, I'm not sure what the Spurs situation is for that. We've got quite a few players out. And obviously, COVID is, is rife. A lot of these players are likely to have only had one vaccine, um, just about getting the second vaccine. So there's likely to be a few disruptions at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to want a strong squad and, and, and Nuno to have had as much time as possible to implement a, a strategy together. And that, that's why, again, I'm kind of happy we had a lot of our players didn't go to a tournament this year because we've, we've had a bit of a pre-season. We've managed to gel the players. Forget the preseason results. Just think about, you know, the fit, the playing together. They are together. Um, 
it's all about making that great start, isn't it? Albeit City had a bit of a slow start last year, but, but you want to you want to hit the ground running and and get the fans excited, don't you? Well, and, and that's what worries me because I look at our opening six fixtures. We've got Man City first game. Um, we are at home, and I think we are unbeaten against Man City at the new stadium. Um, but still, it's probably not the, the not the team you want to be playing the opening game. Then I think we've got Wolves away, which now with the Nuno factor will be quite an interesting match. Then I think we play Watford, newly promoted team. Obviously, you're playing Brentford. Could be the best time to play a newly promoted team. Could be the worst. They've got Danny Rose now. He'll definitely pop up with a goal or an assist. And then I think we've got Chelsea and Arsenal within our first six fixtures. So Nuno has City, Chelsea and Arsenal, plus a reunion with his former club and the game against one of the newly promoted sides, all in his opening six games. And I worry for him that if we don't get off to a good start, that all of a sudden, particularly given the circumstances around his appointment and you know, the relationship between the club and the fans right now, that he'll be under huge pressure from the off and that it could almost be over before it begins. I mean, I kind of fear that he's being set up to fail through circumstances in a way beyond his control because of how late he was brought in, because of the Harry Kane saga hanging over us, because of the rebuild that he's having to oversee, because of the tricky opening fixtures. I just feel like we need a big result and big performance somewhere in those opening six games just to kind of calm everyone down and make everyone feel a bit confident um because i feel like yeah if we get off to a slow start then the, the pressure is really going to be on yeah and i guess it is a way you know again i i, I did say that pre-season doesn't matter in a way the results but it is it is um up to spurs and the manager and the, and the players to kind of get the fans exciting get a little bit of momentum and, and uh, buzz around the new season because I, I was going to ask you I mean do you remember a pre-season that got you excited with Spurs because I, I was remembering Arsenal in 2008 I believe it was I, I was watching a on my computer a, a game against Barnet I think and I saw a young player a midfielder and I thought oh my god this guy's good but I thought it'll just be another player and that was the first time Jack Wilshire played and oh my God, he was good. And I thought, well, there's no chance he's going to be brought into the first team. And and then we know what happened. And you know, then you have the reverse of where Adi Bayor scored and got booed by his own fans because he wanted to leave at the Emirates. So um, it works both ways. But I wonder whether you know you remember any of that buzz pre-season you watched, um, and whether you know you you hope or or have any inklings of who who could create that buzz for this season. Genuinely, the most excited I ever was during preseason, the best preseason we ever had, was the the preseason just before the two points from eight games. That preseason, we were incredible. I remember we beat Roma, I think, like five one at home. David Bentley whipped in a free kick, and I was thinking, oh, you know, we we'd won the Carling Cup obviously the season before, and I was thinking, here we go, this is it. We built such a great team. We had Giovanni dos Santos running around. We had Bentley coming cool. in. We had all this buzz and I was thinking, here we go. And then first eight games, two points, Ramos sacked. But it did, I suppose, usher in the the Red Nap uh, revolution. We were then uh, qualifying for the Champions League by the next season. Um, But looking at this preseason, I mean, Spurs are currently, as we speak, playing against Colchester and are winning 3-0. So that's a bit of positivity. And I think... Certainly players like Dane Scarlett, for example, who scored against uh, Leighton Orient at the weekend. Oliver Skip, who's back from a a very successful loan at Norwich, playing today, by all accounts, playing very well. 
I think those two in particular are play kind of young prospects coming through who are getting Spurs fans excited. And even players who kind of signings who haven't quite worked out yet, but you feel like might get a new lease of life under Nuno. Players like Ryan Sessegnon as well, coming back from loan, who supposedly Nuno was interested in when when Sessegnon was at Fulham. Players like Steven Bergvine even. Um, You know, even players like Deli Alley, who obviously him and Mourinho, we saw it in the All or Nothing they had a bit of a, a strange relationship, but maybe, you know, if you can get him firing again, and I'm sure he'll be motivated after missing out on the Euros, um, you know, there's there's some some promise there. And even players coming back from the Euros, I mean, Hoiberg, I feel like we saw a completely different side of him at the Euros. Mm. And if we can get some of that back when, when he comes back, then, you know, there's still a lot there to, to work with and, and be excited about. And maybe in a way, given the most optimistic I was in preseason, ended up being then a two points from eight game start. Maybe it's good that the expectations are low and that I'm a bit more pessimistic because then you can only kind of only be pleasantly surprised rather than disappointed. It's an, opti- it's an optimistic thought, but uh, no, you're right. I mean, it, it is a good time to start testing out some of those players on the periphery and see whether they're going to make the cut and you know you talk about some of those names there and, and Dane Scarlett as well young player that, that's um has got a good reputation Tanganga's kind of gone off the boil a bit you never know um whether he could come back it's it's interesting it was interesting just looking at the lineup actually for Spurs and and you, I wouldn't be surprised well if if Kane left I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of system of Hummin Son leading the line and becoming the main man became a reality because you do wonder, a bit like Liverpool with Coutinho, when, when a main man leaves, everyone else up their games and a new leader emerges. And it, and it might be a way of, of spinning things slightly, but I wonder whether it could work in Spurs' favour. But again, I go back to it. It feels like, you know, you were, you were two, step back, two steps forward rather and four steps back. And I feel like between Arsenal and Spurs, albeit you have that conference league, for me it feels like the the gap is not as big as it has been for a while um, in favour of Spurs. And, and I think we're going to have a good season. We're going to have an exciting bit of banter. Um, it's going to be exciting to kick it all off uh, against Spurs in, in, in the mind series. Why not? Let's, uh, let, let's put our pole in the sand early. Yeah, we'll get a nice uh, sneak preview of the, the hostilities to come when we uh, we face off in that friendly. Maybe we'll have to do a, a special Cannon Cockrell episode dedicated to to that preseason friendly, and and based off that, who we think will will finish higher in the league next season. Absolutely. Well, I can I can always tell you it's going to be Arsenal. He's gone early there. Gone early. Good early predictions. Well, listen, I predicted. Portugal to win Euro 2016, and I predicted Italy. Or this was not on the podcast. But these were these were monetary bets. I predicted Italy to win the Euros uh, 2020/2021. Um, so there you go. I know my stuff. <laughs> Jason has spoken. Jason has spoken. See, so, yeah. I mean, now we, we, we've gone over both uh, Nuno's. I was going to make a, a Nuno pun. Um, so, so how can how can I end it with a nice new no pun? New, no time to waste. Let's go. <laughs> it's the uh, the new Bond film. New, new, no time to die. <laughs> no time to die. <laughs>